0: Welcome to the Honest Labor podcast, where we look at life lessons through the lens of woodworking. This is episode one, Prelude to Perfection. Gentlemen. Gentlemen. Welcome back. Good
1: to see you guys. I'm pretty excited about this article today. I think it's going to be a good conversation.
2: What's it called, Mark? It's called Ancestral Voices. So for tonight, I chose an article written called Down to Earth. It portrays craft, specifically woodwork, to be a grounding activity for people.
0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Honest Labor Podcast where we look at life lessons through the lens of woodworking. This is episode one, Prelude to Perfection. We're going to talk about the ideas around perfection, patience, distraction, and self-awareness. And without further ado, uh, guys, if it's all right with you... I wanted to start just by reading the introduction and even just the first sentence. Most of us are haunted throughout our lives by the wide gap between what we feel we could do and the little we actually accomplish. That one hit me right off the bat. What about you guys?
2: It resonated with me as well. <laughs> How so? Uh, whenever I'm working in my shop, I always my ambition is also, oh, always greater than what I can actually do. I always have more projects on the plate that I can feasibly accomplish. Mm-hmm. And, and so does it apply on a project by project or like even just within your life? Probably within my life. Yeah. A little ADHD in there, just always having more on my plate than I can accomplish. Mm-hmm. My to-do lists are always longer than I can get done. Absolutely. And they grow. They just tend to grow.
1: (laughs) I feel like what I notice is that I'll be working on something and then whether it be, you know, a a woodworking project or a writing project or something. And when I'm driving around in my truck, I start fantasizing about all the, you know, delusions of self-grandeur of what it could be, you know, when this project is finished and it's going to be beautiful. And then I, like, get back to, you know, what's right in front of me. And it's like, hmm, long way to go to get there. Um, but it's nice to think about what it could be, what it might be somewhere down the line. But you need to, like, I think it's really important to maintain that humility and that that humble nature of, like, where you're actually at. and And it's easy to get overwhelmed by where you want to be versus where you are. And I think that humility makes it possible to just focus on where you are and not get too caught up on on the
0: bigger, greater, larger picture. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I think for me, when I first read that sentence, especially as I've been getting older, and you realize you only have one life, and you think about what you want to do with your one life and trying to put into play and have the courage to do whatever it is that you want to do with that one life sometimes can be hard and so that that's kind of how it hit me Uh, and not just on a project by project sort of thing but like what it is that you want to do with your life um i'm gonna keep going yeah As children we embarked eagerly on cherished projects, and when we failed from lack of experience and skill, were daunted and exasperated by our impotence. To feel within oneself the power to do a thing and then to make such a hash of it. Later, when our fingers had gained skill, the problem posed itself in different form. We might now have the knowledge... And at least sufficient confidence to do a good job. But still, there was something that eluded us. Some secret vision of perfection to which, in spite of many efforts, we failed to attain. So, again, he goes back to childhood. And I started thinking about some of my own eager ambitions when I was a child. And I'd like to, again, go to you guys. Do you remember any sort of projects that you tried when you were a child to either do or make that ultimately failed and then how that affected you did it affect you did it affect you then do you think that it affected who you are today well I remember we had a tree house
1: growing up that we had some guys come build and at one point my brother and I decided that it was really it wasn't a tree house it was more like a A fort on stilts on like some 4 by 4 posts Um, but it was in the trees and we decided we needed a platform underneath this for some reason and so we spent a whole weekend going to Home Depot and and getting all the the dimensional lumber to frame out the floor box and then plywood to sheet it and all that and I remember just uh, at one point totally getting all the measurements wrong and I was like what's going on and then I realized that I was just making the assumption that a two by four was two inches by four inches, <laughs> and uh, it really shocked me that I was not.
0: How old were you?
1: Oh, I was probably 13, mm. something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but... do you feel cheated? <laughs> you know, I did hear somebody recently sued Home Depot because their oh, uh, dimensional lumber was not as advertised. <laughs> so I did feel cheated in that regard, but... Uh, <laughs> It was a lesson for sure, Uh, you know, the measure measure twice, cut once. Um, I don't know how I can extrapolate that out to, you know, that one instance, but when I read that line specifically, it made me think of something that I had heard once, which regards taste and and people's individual taste. And more or less the idea is that like having taste means going through a period of production where what you're making is void of taste and knowing Mm -hmm. that you know Mm -hmm. because like you know what you want to produce and you have this the basic skills to like get close but you can't get all the way there you can't get to that perfection that Hayward talks about Mm -hmm. and I think that that's also a place where it's really easy to get hung up mm-hmm. because you know, you're not producing what you want to produce, but it takes so much more work to like actually get to the point where you actually, where you have the physical capabilities and mm-hmm. you don't have the experience to quite produce at a level, you know, you should be or want to be producing yet, you know? And that's like, that's where I went with that. And and thinking about how you have to just keep pushing mm-hmm. until you get that character, that taste mm-hmm. that suits you. That's you know indicative of your own personality, your own
0: flavor as a craftsman or mm-hmm. or whatever it may be. Journey. Yeah, and like keyword yet, right? Knowing that you're not there yet. I'm always humbled when I'm in the presence of Paul. Just for the record. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about you, Paul? Childhood experiences?
2: Yeah, I built a lot of model airplanes when yeah. I was a young kid. Yeah, my dad worked at a, a hobby shop when I think he was in high school or college, and so we had a giant box of model warbirds. And most, you know, they didn't fly; they were just something you put on the mm-hmm. desk. And I, I built a lot of those. Um, then I got into building model airplanes that would fly and they didn't, they didn't work very well. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I didn't feel discouraged, but, um, it, uh, they definitely weren't perfect. Uh, they crashed. Um, but it was, it was exciting to, to be making things. Mm-hmm. It was, it was a constant, uh, pursuit to, to create better things. Mm-hmm. Nice. So the first
0: one that came to my mind for my own childhood experience, we had this old Toro riding lawnmower that was just sitting in the back 40 that nobody wanted. It's still somewhat kind of not really ran, but I wanted a go-kart more than anything. And I was like, this is my vision. I'm going to make this of a go-kart. It's going to be Tokyo Drift around the corners, (laughs) you know, like, and, um... I had no mechanical experience. I had no idea what to do to get it to actually go through the transmission even. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I ended up just like spray painting the body and painted a monster face on the front. <laughs> That's
1: That was your go-kart. That was my go-kart.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and I think it was kind of defeating not so much then like during the experience but i think afterwards looking back um even years down the line it was like i didn't even have close to half of an idea of what i needed to do in order to execute my vision but it's still that was my grandiose plan you know and then i think that as children in particular they get so motivated and so inspired and and they don't know what their limitations are. They don't know that you need experience in order to do something. So an example of my oldest uh, this last summer, he wanted to build a full-sized dragon that would like fly, it'd have LED lights for its eyes, like the whole nine yards. And it was, it was hard for me to like break it down to them that, you know, (laughs) this isn't going to (laughs) work. We're not going to build a dragon. (laughs) I mean, I like the idea and I don't, I mean, I don't want to squash that. And, and I think that it's like beautiful that, that children do get inspired and motivated to have those ideas and want to do it. Um, and I think it's important for them to have Opportunities to learn from those experiences too. Because if, if they want to do and then they, they don't have the opportunity to, air quotes, do, um, I think that's worse than trying and failing.
1: Yeah, and I, I'd agree 100%. And also, I think that whether it be as parents or teachers or mentors or also just for ourselves, you know, it's not about getting hung up on that end product on like, well, we didn't make the dragon, Mm -hmm. you know, but, or we didn't make the go-kart. We just painted it black and put Mm -hmm. a face on it. You know, it's like the process ultimately is what you need to love Mm -hmm. in order to get to the point where you're producing the end result. Mm -hmm. And Hayward gets into that. He, you know, next in the article where he says, you know, usually it is our impatience that defeats us. I just thought that was so simple and so, so true to, to its core, uh, and it kind of speaks to exactly this. Like mm-hmm. we get impatient for whatever it is that may have inspired us, or you know, we see as the end result. And when it actually takes time to to achieve that, it's like, oh well, on to the next thing because you know, dreaming of stuff is pretty easy to do, but if you can fall in love with the process. Then, then you're having fun, no matter what the end result is, mm-hmm. and then you actually, like paradoxically, produce the end result that you were hoping for when you're not thinking about it. Mm-hmm. You know, or at least you know at the outset.
0: So, in in the sentence immediately preceding preceding uh, where he talks about our impatience is what typically defeats us, um, he discusses this model that this guy made it sounded like a marble run i wish i could see a picture of what it is what it was that this guy created but it sounded pretty elaborate and exquisite and um the last line of that paragraph says obviously it has been a labor of love and infinite patience and the words infinite patience coupled together really stuck out to me there as well and especially in like present day times i mean Patience is just fleeting mm-hmm. from everybody for a wide variety of reasons. And I've thought a lot about patience over the last couple of days, too. And I think that there may be some sort of delineation between internal and external patience, meaning, internal patience means simply patience with ourselves and the ability to work through something hard. External patience means patience for everybody and everything else, which like also can kids be. you work with every day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, and and there's there's more than than just that too. Paul. <laughs> um, so, but I I do. So I think it's interesting where he says that usually it's our impatience that defeats us. I think that he's. Mostly referring to our internal patience Mm -hmm. there. But then the next sentence is, there are so many other distractions tugging at us that it's difficult to to devote ourselves unswervingly to one particular bit of creative work with the unhurried effort that a first-class job takes, and we are content to give less than our best. And so then I got going down the line of distractions, right? I mean, there are distracted driving distracted workers distracted parenting distracted fill in the blank right i mean i think that the three of us in this room could probably go on about our own struggles with distraction right in both professional and personal lives yeah
2: they're everywhere
1: and i mean it's literally you know baked into the devices and the technology that we use is Mm -hmm. you know multitasking as a feature Mm -hmm. you know so you're on your phone maybe you're writing an email or Mm -hmm. you're on your computer doing something similar Mm -hmm. and then you know at your fingertips you can go anywhere on the internet you can you know look at pictures you can listen to music you can do literally a thousand things Mm -hmm. and it's like sold as a as a a pro, right. This is a pro of yeah. this device is you can do everything on it. Simultaneously. Simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And, Luca, I know you use a lot of old tools, as I'm mm-hmm. sure you do as well, mm-hmm. Paul. And I think what's so cool about that, and maybe tools in general, because even power tools, you know, usually serve one function. If, if you're you know. smart and safe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Sometimes you have to figure it out. But mm-hmm. that's what always blew my mind about, you know, watching, like, uh, norm on uh the new yankee workshop is that you know these and in furniture making i'm sure you can speak to this paul but it seems like there's a gigantic machine that does one super specific task and that's kind of like refreshing especially compared to a tiny phone that does a thousand things it's like the absolute antithesis of that
2: i would almost i, I disagree with you all all my big machines And the the small machines, they do so many different things. That just proves my ignorance. (laughs) (laughs) Well, furniture (laughs) making. The table saw, the band saw. There's so many different jigs and fixtures you can make to hold a piece of wood, cut it differently, or run it at angles on the saw or the router. I mean, there's it's it's open to creativity. Mm -hmm. So it's it's just like a pan tool where it's you're not limited to to what the manufacturer had in mind. You can as long as you're safe you can (laughs) get the job done so that's what that's what makes woodworking so much fun is that you can there's so many different ways of doing things Mm -hmm. but I definitely understand um, the the distractions they're they're Mm -hmm. everywhere well the
1: other piece too along with the distractions is and speaking to the patience part of the equation, it's just this culture of instant gratification that we're in mm-hmm. and how easy it is to look something up on Google or or order something. you want something you go and click a few buttons and it's going to arrive on your doorstep possibly the same day you know and that I think is really undermining, the ability for people to
0: put some focus into into a project and, and what does the average person put their focus into though like to practice this? I mean not everybody's in some sort of craft like mm-hmm. woodworking. Yeah. Right? To where your action and thought are so intertwined that there's no ability for you to focus on anything mm-hmm. else. Right. What, I mean, I, is it just simply that those types of opportunities are starting to
1: well, I think you vanish? have to be
0: c- conscious about pursuing them.
1: You yeah, know? like you can't society, technology, whatever, is not set up to reward focused work i think it's set up again to reward multitasking and i think about like you know i think about the hobbies people pursue and like a lot of people i know are rock climbers for yeah. instance and similar focus exactly yeah. and when you're up on the wall and you're trying to you know make a move or whatever and maybe you're above your rope and you know you know you're going to take a bit of a fall if you if you don't make it it's like there's nothing else out there in the world at that moment, right. you know. Similarly, like if you're making a really precise cut on a piece of wood, like you can't be thinking about a bunch of other stuff going on. You need to be f- purely focused. You're gonna lose a finger if you're not <laughs> focused. Totally. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And but it takes, you know, I think it's rare the kind of situations that arise out of nowhere that force people these days to be focused and give their undivided attention you know Mm because like going back to distractions it's like driving you would think people (laughs) would be focused while driving Yeah. but yeah right you know see a lot of distracted driving out there (laughs) yeah scary yeah so I think I think it takes pursuing those opportunities consciously and deliberately um whether it be in the world of of woodworking or, or beyond, but it's, it takes a consciousness that, that just, you know, isn't, isn't readily apparent on the surface. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And I, I think that one of the critical elements of that consciousness is that it really needs to be hands on doing like it has to be a physical, activity Mm -hmm. thing I mean even cooking right I mean that is a full-on that's something everyone can relate to something that everyone can relate to and it's I mean I can't speak from first-hand experience but second-hand experience and Allison has she's developed a passion for cooking for this reason I mean it's the same type of stuff that all three of us know and value in craft and what that brings to our ability to practice that level of focus and concentration on something and and i think even furthermore it's like when i watch what she does it's just so dynamic and it's Mm -hmm. it's fascinating to watch um i think that a lot of people and i'm not trying to be judgy here um But I think that they are much more concerned with or preoccupied with entertainment and materialism over trying to devote themselves to a particular line of, or hobby, Mm -hmm. in order to develop themselves in this way. And, And intentionally develop themselves in this way. I would agree. I think it goes back to No, if you want
1: to ask why that is it goes back to how hayward starts the article which is that it's hard to a learn how to do something Mm -hmm. and then b learn how to do something well Mm -hmm. that you appreciate what you're doing and i think most people would rather not put in the effort to get it
2: takes time and effort to do it yeah yeah
1: and i don't know like i think that you know, a lot of people, maybe they say they have a passion for something and some people say they don't have a passion, but I think it's, it's about finding something that you can commit to. And commitment is something that I kept thinking about again and again, reading this article. Um, and I just wonder if these days, and of course this all ties together, but you know, you got to commit to, to pursuing something to get good enough, to, to truly enjoy it. hmm You know, there's this concept I've, I heard about years ago called like a, being a T shaped person. So it's about both breath and depth. Mm-hmm. And so like the T is breath of uh-huh. experience and doing a lot of different things. And then the depth is like one skill at which mm-hmm. you pursue the depth of it. So mm-hmm. you kind of get the best of both worlds. And mm-hmm. I really like that because it's not like you're living and breathing you know, one thing. Like, I don't know. I I just, you know, the world cup match was yesterday. I don't know if you guys watched that, but it was, I got pretty into it. And like, you know, you watch a guy like, did you watch it Paul? No. No. Me neither. Well, any, any athlete, for instance, you know, like Lionel Messi in this, in this case, but you know, you could talk about any, anyone or Mm -hmm. any, any, you know, professional actor or, or, you know, whatever. It's like, they have to live and breathe what they're doing for, so long to truly be the best at these super specific things you know like the Mm -hmm. stories about like Roger Federer for instance in like tennis it's like you know you go off at 12, 13 and like
0: that's what you do period so I've been thinking about professional sports in this whole thing and without a doubt those guys do an immense amount of focus yeah but think about the number of people that devote their lives to following those individuals Mm -hmm. for the individuals that they are Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's it
1: (laughs) yeah and maybe they you know are living vicariously or or gaining some sense of purpose through their fandom i don't know
0: there's a quote
2: (laughs) i don't know there's a quote in uh, the article that says the trouble with perfection is that it looks so misleadingly simple, but the cost is high. Very appropriate. That, I mean that. Yeah. I underline that. Very appropriate. It resonates very well. If you see someone at the peak of their game doing their thing, mm-hmm. it just looks so good and looks so easy. And mm-hmm. It's, but it's so hard. It's so hard. Yeah. Like if you attempt to recreate what they're doing, whatever they're doing, mm-hmm. it's, it's difficult unless you spend spend the time Mm -hmm. unless you spend the time yeah and i think that that's
0: one of the and i'm not trying to diss pro sports because i think that they do a lot of good in inspiring children too Mm -hmm. right and i think that i mean just inspiring children to be active to go out and play Mm -hmm. soccer and play football do whatever right i mean i think that's great and then to take it a step further and to have the grit and perseverance to Let's say that you think that you do want to go to the NFL or NBA or whatever. Go for it. Mm -hmm. Try. I mean, I I don't want to squash those dreams. But you're going to have to put in the time. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, it just goes back to like the cliche, like when the going gets tough, the tough get going. It's like when things get hard, as they inevitably do, when you get to a certain level in anything, you're either going to be inspired by the toughness and find an energy in that to to keep going and going at greater and greater speed and you know, affect. Or you're gonna do the other thing and you're gonna collapse, you're gonna shrink away. You're gonna say, Oh, that's too hard And I've certainly been in both talk about sports. I was never much of a sports guy, but I remember like senior year in high school for some reason I thought I was gonna go play lacrosse even though I never really played lacrosse much. Yeah. I was a water polo player. And I, I played lacrosse in high yeah. school. Yeah. And it's hard. It Those fucking wind sprints, you know, <laughs> make your lungs bleed. And I, I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And then, like, day one of practice, like, I finally showed up, and we were doing wind sprints. I was like,
2: eh, I'm good. <laughs> you know? And, like, maybe,
1: like, you know, so I think it's, all with, it's within yeah. us all, both sides of things. I'm not per, an athlete, per se, but... Um, You know, I think recognizing that.
0: So, I think this is a good segue to the next section. I agree. Where he talks about the importance of Mm self-awareness, essentially. And so, I'll I'll just read it a little bit. Even so, we have to accept our human limitations. Boom. Don't do wind sprints. They are different (laughs) with every individual man. Divergencies of talent, of temperament, of circumstances with which must inevitably produce differences of achievement. We're not going to be all lacrosse players, right? (laughs) Um, Should we, I wonder, if if instead of sighing for the moon, we accept ourselves as we are with our own gifts and potentialities. I think potentialities is a really important and interesting thing to consider there our own weaknesses and faults of temperament and set ourselves to do the best creative work that lies in us in spite of them we shall work with an awareness of ourselves that will be half the battle maybe more than half
1: I wonder how many people are self-aware you know just generally speaking or are even interested in that um You know, I think about this kid I knew growing up with who would go to bed uh, watching Space Jam every night. The (laughs) the classic Michael Jordan. Every night. Every (laughs) night. Because he didn't want to lay in his bed in the quiet. Because I would presume, I mean, this is, you know, a retroactive sort of analysis, but I would assume... Whatever it was about laying in the dark at night by himself, he, didn't, he wasn't comfortable with that, you know? Mm-hmm. So he had the TV on every night, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And how many people out there are unable to sit in a quiet room for five minutes, mm-hmm. you know, and and think, and let themselves think, and just see where their mind goes, you know? And if, if it's no wonder if, like, people aren't able to, you know, investigate what's going on in their own head They're not going to be able to even begin to pursue something to the point of, you know, near perfection, let alone,
0: you know, half perfection or whatever you want to call it, you know. Can I read something? Please. All right. This is, uh, so as you know, in Sloyd, one of the aims is the development of self-reliance. An analysis of self-reliance seems to indicate that the child must possess... Number one, some knowledge of its own capacity. Number two, some knowledge of the amount and quality of the work to be done. Number three, an ability to determine the true relation which exists between one and two, capacity and quality, and to arrive at a correct and decisive judgment as to whether its ability is equal to the performance of the work required. And number four, a readiness to act upon the judgment arrived at, whether it be negative or positive. So I I just think it's pretty impressive that way back then they were so attuned with the idea of trying to develop and bring out Mm self-awareness in order to develop self-reliance, right? I mean, the child has to know what he or she is capable of doing. And I don't think that a child is going to be capable of knowing what he or she is capable of doing unless they try. Unless they try to make that Toro go-kart. Mm-hmm. Right?
2: Mm-hmm. And <laughs> potential failures. Yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. Now, what concerns me is if children are not afforded those mm-hmm. opportunities. If they're not, Then, if you don't have step one, they don't know what their own capacity is then where do they start for self-awareness
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know
1: it's really interesting
0: you know Sloyd
1: being something what when what year was it over 100 years ago right
0: yeah uh i mean this book was 1894
1: okay so 120 130 plus yeah. years ago and i wonder you know we we like to think you know, we're we're all evolving. We're all just improving, getting better and better and better. But, you know, sometimes it takes looking back to, you know, not, not only 100 years ago, but 1,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, and to see the kind of philosophy that was coming out then, mm-hmm. um, to kind of strip away some of the distraction that we were talking about earlier. Um, a quote I wrote down, which I just heard recently, um, is from a... Uh, a Roman philosopher, Epictetus, he was a Stoic, and uh, he said, to be beautiful, we must make beautiful choices. And what I love about that is that it requires we think about what beauty is, you know, and to take it into, you know, craft and woodworking. It's like, a beautiful choice can be using a hand plane Mm. instead of a power planer or a you know a, you know for instance uh, but beauty can be found i think in so many choices mm-hmm. and the idea that we are some of our choices really i think it simplifies that every choice we are consciously making you know we can make the simple choice the easy choice you know the cost effective choice with a beautiful choice. Now, these might, might not be mutually exclusive. You know, maybe they're all all of those things at once. But you know, I think, and this kind of gets away from self awareness a little bit, but well, like, no, not really. I, I'm going to uh, come back to it. I keep but going. I just, you know, I, I just have really been thinking about that the last few days, and it it, it it in the simple idea that beauty can be found in the littlest of things. And the pursuit of that I think is is worthwhile on its
0: own. Read the quote one more time. Um, to be beautiful, we must make beautiful choices. Okay, so what I hear in that is action.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: like I, I I hear what you're saying on beauty, mm-hmm. but i'm I'm hearing more important than anything action, like you have to make choices, mm-hmm. right. And so that goes to number four of what I read in Sloyd, a readiness to act upon the judgment arrived at, whether it be negative or positive readiness to act, you know, I mean, got to make a decision, got to make a decision. You got to move forward. You got to do whatever it is you're going to do. And understand, like let go of what potential failure and negative outcomes might be. But you're not going to go move forward without making choices.
1: And what I love about that is, is it's like not only are you shedding, you know, the possibility of failure, you're shedding also the what-ifs of if you made a different choice, what could have happened. Because at some point, it doesn't matter, it's irrelevant. You know, mm-hmm. you're gonna you're going to choose this and everything mm-hmm. that happens beyond now is going to be predicated upon this choice and
0: it's going to direct everything, whatever might happen. And I, I think that those decisions get harder as we get older. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you have more experiences. You have, you have more experiences and you have more on the line. Yeah. <clears throat> right? Yeah. I mean, more money, more family, more everything that's depending on you and mm-hmm. the decisions are yeah. are real. So this reminds me of something that I just heard recently. Um,
1: there's another podcast called The Happiness Podcast, mm-hmm. and um, on one episode they were discussing the concept of YOLO, mm-hmm. you only live once, <laughs> and and I think that in the common perception is that it's you know from the Drake song, you only live once. You know the world, I can do whatever I want because you only live once, so I'm just going to go do whatever I want to do. Mm-hmm. What they were saying in this in this podcast was that actually Yolo was first coined by a guy named Mickey Hart, who was the drummer for the Grateful Dead hmm. um but interestingly, it was the exact opposite of the connotation of Yolo that we all kind of assume it means. It's like i'm gonna do whatever I want right Mickey Hart's concept of Yolo was. You only live once, so let's go for it. Let's make that hard decision. Mm-hmm. And in his case, it was they, him and his wife really wanted to live on this ranch, and they couldn't afford the ranch, but he was like, we're going to figure it out. You only live once. Let's buy this ranch. Let's commit to this ranch, mm-hmm. and we'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I think that was such an interesting like inversion of the common conception of YOLO, because, yeah, you you do. I mean, you said this earlier. Like, you only live once. So what are we going to commit to mm-hmm. to pursue? Um, because, you know, you leave your options wide open forever. You're never going to do anything. You're never going to get that depth. You'll have the breath, but you'll never have that depth.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm going to jump back into the text because I think there's another interesting thread i want to pull maybe we've pulled out a little bit but we'll see we are each as it were our own raw material and by working creatively and setting ourselves to do good work we are shaping and making ourselves as well as the thing we do in this way alone we can discover our hidden potentialities Hmm, potentialities again by learning to do the things which can give them release It is their presence within us which gives us from childhood upwards, that sense of power to do things which, given no outlet, may well prove illustrious. I think the outlet is really important, and I think that we've already talked a little bit about that. And I don't think that, as a kid, you really think deeply about what your potential in life is going to be. Right?
2: I didn't. <laughs> I don't think no, I did. No way.
0: I just painted a sweet monster picture on the front of it, <laughs> A lawnmower. Um, but if but I jump in real quick, as kids, like, one
1: thing I love about it, so I two boys, three and five, mm-hmm. and what I love is their absolute, like, unconscious devotion to living in the present. Mm-hmm. There is no... There is no future. There's no potential. They don't care. Right. They don't even think about where they could be. They're thinking about what's happening right
0: now. So who gives more thought to potential of children? Parents. Exactly. Parents give all the thought of potential to children and like maybe too much. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but at the same time, providing... Children, those outlets, whatever they may be, whether it's rock climbing, whether it's something, something yeah. intentional, back to earlier conversation, to tease out the potential mm-hmm. in a children is so, so
1: important. Well, and I think that it goes, you know, parenting is a, an obvious example, but also in craft, we have mentors, we have master craftsmen, mm-hmm. experts, and then the apprentice, and you know, it's mm-hmm. just something that's not out there in a way that it used to be. Because you could say the same thing for, you know, a kid who doesn't want to go to college uh, because it doesn't school doesn't suit them for whatever reason. They want to, you know, pursue a trade. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with a with few exceptions, it feels like the pathways are sort of touch and go out there as far as people finding somebody who can tease out, you know, the the lessons that need to be learned to become that expert from that apprentice, you know, and and I think about that a lot is, you know, as, as a home builder, I work with such a wide swath of people from experts mm-hmm. in all different trades to kids exactly like I just mentioned who just didn't, school's not for them and they want to you know do something different but it it's like on us who are not maybe the old guard but somewhere in the middle who have been have learned our craft one way or another but don't necessarily have that groundwork laid f- to bring new people into the fold that is something i think about on a daily basis at work or the projects i'm working on on how to help you know, people find that um, in the trades specifically. Um, it's difficult. It's difficult to help people. I found
2: in my in my journey as a furniture maker, it's been difficult for me to find that in a mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, I look back when I was in the Air Force. Yeah. And I was very spoiled because I was fresh out of college, a freshly commissioned officer, and I mm-hmm. had... A mentor who was solely dedicated to making me the the best mm. the best uh, commander mm-hmm. when it was my time that I could be, and uh, and that's that's what I did as that commander is when I had deputies to train them to be the best to replace me, and and that's something that's I, it, working at it, in a trade, it's it's not as common these days. Not these days. No. But I, I've worked I suspect for quite it a few was. Of, mm-hmm. Yeah, I've worked for quite a few um, furniture companies. And I, I really haven't found someone that's that's put an effort towards the next generation of craftsmen. Mm. So... Yeah. It's, it's... It's hard. It's something to
1: to kind of, you know... I, I want to say, like, almost be ashamed of, like, as a society that we've gotten to a point where we're not thinking about what's next. We're only thinking about, what you know, ourselves or, like, let's get the job done. I just need somebody to get the job done and not necessarily trying to get somebody raised up to to be, you know, to, to
0: replace you, you know, to fill in. Right. I think it gets back to... the Distractions. Mm-hmm. I mean, we talked about that earlier, right? And I, I'm not trying to blame or point fingers or, or anything, but I think that there are so many people that are just so distracted with, e- even if it's distractions that are still within their job mm-hmm. or their company, right? But they're distracted, which precludes their ability to mentor. Mm-hmm and pull out potentialities in the next generation it takes time
1: (laughs) time away from (laughs) infinite patience you build yeah 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 yeah. well not to mention i mean some people just aren't there i mean you meaning like you spend time and i've certainly done this i'm sure you both have as well like you work on somebody who presumably wants to be a you know, a tradesperson of some kind, and then they just kind of like fall apart. And Do you I, think that it's because they don't have infinite patience? I would imagine that, or they're distracted. They're very <laughs> distracted. I mean, there's a lot of things going on. There.
0: You know, and but in all seriousness, what if we were able to like develop a generation that appreciated patience? I've had yeah. I've had students, I've had second graders write about how they appreciate what we're doing in Sloyd because it helps them practice their patience. Mm-hmm. And that's a second grader.
1: Yeah. There is so many forces at play in society. I think that you know, young people in particular are are way more aware of of some of the things that's that are going on then we might give them credit for. And what I mean specifically is like the pervasiveness of technology, for instance. Like so I'm 36, my my freshman year of college was the last year that you had to have a college address to be on Facebook. <laughs> so so in other words when I was a freshman in college, that was the first year I could get Facebook. Yeah. But it was also the same year that my eighth grade sister got Facebook. Mm-hmm. So and now, you know, it's a free for all. Are you thirty six, Bob? Yeah. I think we're all thirty-six. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um and it and so we yeah. have like a pretty unique perspective, I think, in that social media was not, you know, totally pervasive in our lives. No. When we were
2: It was the, it was the team. new thing. Yeah,
1: exactly. Um, and and so we have sort of that that maybe older perspective on on that. Mm-hmm. Um. But I have to think about where exactly I was going with that. But uh, I th- I think that when it comes to the focus, you know, we we need to think about oh we need to think about how that is playing into our attitudes in our mind. And I think that when I look at some people in society, it's hard for them to kind of grasp the the that pervasiveness I'm talking about. Like so we have that unique position of being, you know, coming of age before it was everywhere but i look at like my parents generation Mm -hmm. and the boomers and it's like they're on their phones more than anybody else i know (laughs) and i'm like you guys have no idea like we're all laughing laughing, yeah it's true you you know yeah Yeah. it's crazy and then i just read this article about like these quote-unquote luddite teenagers what's that it's teens who like don't want a phone so they really? they like just don't even want anything to do with technology. Wow, you know, wow, and and I think that's really interesting because it's like, you know, now it's on the other side of the coin huh. where the kids coming up are like, I've seen, wow, I've seen what's going on here. I don't want anything to do with that. Now, maybe this is highlighting some extremes, but I think that now that social media in particular, but technology generally, has been so ingrained in our society for decades now people might be coming you know getting their heads above water a little bit so similar
0: similar story i i uh saw some news article some study that was done and this was shortly after most of the covid restrictions were lifted and they were surveying children and asking them what they thought about their parents jobs because they had been under Mm -hmm. the same roof watched them do what they do for their job Mm. and it was an overwhelming percentage of the kids that were like i never want to do what they're doing i don't know what they're doing they're just staring (laughs) at a screen all day or they're on the phone yelling at somebody and it doesn't look or sound fun (laughs) so so maybe there is hope (laughs) Mm -hmm. um i think
1: one one paragraph kind of a to kind of transition a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I love how he wraps up this article because he, he leaves it so open-ended as to if a person chooses the, the path, you know, the commitment, what the potential is. And the line that really stood out to me is, once started on the road to good craftsmanship, there is no knowing where a man will stop. One thing has an odd way of leading to another interests and accomplishments to grow and thrive by the way. And that was that one has just stuck with me mm-hmm. um, because it's just showing that like in that commitment, the opportunity is just abound. Like the more you choose a specific path, the more doors open up, which is just like kind of counterintuitive
0: very counter yeah yeah yeah
1: but i i felt that and i'm curious you know how you guys may have experienced that in your lives when you have committed to something Mm -hmm. how how doors open up and before i let you answer it there's this one quote i have to say because it's my favorite quote of all time
0: all time all time favorite quote
1: it's by uh by goth it says at the moment of commitment, the universe conspires to help you. Wow. and so I'm curious when, uh, at what moments of commitment mm-hmm. have you guys experienced where the universe sort
2: of conspired to, to help you? I like that. Paul's first. Um, I, I would say I have a lot of experiences that I can speak of, but one that really shines is is when I started whitewater kayaking, uh, my senior year in college. Started. Uh, I, I learned to roll a kayak, and uh, and that opened up a door. And there were an immense. It's an immense challenge um, that anyone who's tried it can um, can relate to. But uh, um, it's it's hard work, and um, it takes it takes a lot of time in the boat to become a decent paddler. That, and uh, I stuck with it um, broken broken my body along the way and uh, but it's made me stronger and it's it's made uh, it's offered a community to me around here that's just um, the best uh, awesome relationships with people and um, so that's that's one thing that's been an immense challenge and it still is mm-hmm. uh, and it's really offered me a lot um, with, with people our, our community that we have friends that I trust my life with you know, it's, it's great mm-hmm. that's fantastic and, and
0: I'm sure all of those things that are happening now <laughs> I mean, you could have never forecasted right? I mean, no. the whole idea of one thing leading to another Right. you learning how to roll that canoe knew kayak <laughs> that's what i meant it's the same thing isn't it <laughs> not really <laughs> it's, it's a watercraft <laughs> i don't think it in well if you roll a canoe <laughs> i mean you can i, I don't canoe though it, I, is that a greater challenge than rolling a kayak it's different mm. anyway but oh. <laughs> um but you you could have never com- contemplated what sort of opportunities we're going to open up for you here and and still like for what's to come. I think that's one of the cool things about aging too Mm -hmm. is that you start to understand that you really have no idea what your future is going to be and that's like part of the fun of it but you can plan all you want
2: but it's only going to get you so far.
0: But at the same time if you're not doing something yeah. it's not going to get you anywhere right mm-hmm. right
1: well you got to put yourself out of your comfort zone too, totally which, exactly you know you got to you got to pursue something you got to be a beginner you got to yeah. fail and mm-hmm. if you don't it's so amazing like when you do do that like when you put yourself out there the mm-hmm. kind of support that comes out of the woodwork mm-hmm. and and i can speak to like kind of an adjacent you know anecdote but mm-hmm. like after college, I went down to South America and traveled by myself for mm-hmm. a while, and I just really wanted to explore like Patagonia, so in Chile and Argentina, and and I was by myself. And what I found was that when people found out I was traveling by myself, they like opened their doors to me, like mm. literally and figuratively, mm. you know, took me into their homes, fed me, mm. you know, that's cool. Well, we hung out, you know, and it was like. I was like, you know, I'm going, I'm Mm going to go. I don't know what I'm doing. My parents like did not understand this concept. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was one of the most formative experiences in my life Mm. because, you know, people want to help other people, you know, and when you put yourself out there in whatever way, I think that people recognize that, whether it's consciously or subconsciously and they they
0: take you under their wing, they bring Mm -hmm. you in and they, and they want to help you. I think that they appreciate the risk. Yeah. Right? I mean, uh, they recognize that you're doing something that's very atypical. Mm -hmm. And I I think that people... What's the quote again? At the moment of commitment, the universe conspires to help you. I think that people conspire to help people who Mm -hmm. take risk. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Mm Mm-hmm so you got to take risk mm-hmm. and that's what it comes down to and it's scary um but you know otherwise safety is boring i mean <laughs> not, you know comfort mm-hmm. rather is boring right. safety is important mm-hmm. <laughs> comfort is boring
0: and gotta get out of your bubble you gotta get out of your bubble one of my favorite quotes i have no idea who said it but it's life begins at the edge of your comfort zone <laughs> that's where it begins no. that was when i taught rotc that was the first quote that i started my oh yeah freshman oh, class cool. with. yeah <laughs> say, it, say it again life begins at the edge of your comfort zone mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so for in response to your question um for like when moments in our lives when we committed to mm-hmm. something it'd be for Allison and, uh, to start Sloyd experience. I mean, for years leading up to that, it liter- literally felt like we were standing at the edge of a cliff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was scary, super, super scary. Um, cause there was there was so much unknown. Um, but man, I, I mean, I, I don't want to go down all of this, but I I'm continuously inspired and motivated by people who continue to rally and support the idea and the fact that it's not just an idea now that Mm -hmm. we're doing something about it Um, I don't know it fills my cup
1: well and what's more is I feel like when you find somebody who goes for it you want to be with that person Mm -hmm. and then then you start spending time with that person Mm -hmm. or people and it inspires you to continue going for it, mm-hmm. and I think that this this sort of chance taking, this risk taking, and this pursuit of perfection, if we want to call, you know, back to the, the Hayward piece, it's it's contagious. You know, mm-hmm. it really does attract a group of people together, and if you're willing to put yourself out there, and even if you're not willing, but you just like believe in yourself enough to take a chance, even if it's the smallest chance, you can find yourself in this group of people and you can find these doors opening up and these opportunities coming before you that were never there before. And it just takes that, you know, it's like Confucius said, like the journey of a thousand miles starts with one step. You just got to take that first step. Right. And who knows where it's going to go. But to me, that's like the most exciting part about life totally just going for it i know see what happens
0: Not, i know I'm like for for us it's like we just feel like we're living we're truly living mm-hmm. and it, it goes back to the analysis of self-reliance right from the theory of educational soil some knowledge of your own capacity some knowledge of the amount and quality of the work to be done right i mean if you have those two things mm-hmm. that's that's half of it but that number four, a readiness to act, taking that, that first step, that's the yeah. first step. Yeah. That's, that's the hard part. Um, I think I'm going to kind of wrap this up. Yeah. So, in I'll just read the last sentence here. To the end of our days, we shall probably still feel conscious of the things we might have done and did not the things we might have been and were not. But insofar as we were willing to pay the price of achievement, we shall have something to show for having lived. So I think that this is a perfect tie back to his very first sentence again, which was most of us were haunted, are haunted throughout our lives by the wide gap between what we feel we could do and the little we actually accomplish. And even though this, is titled Prelude to Perfection. The word perfection only comes across I think two, maybe three times. And in the first, the first time it comes across, um, it talks about unless we are prepared to pay the price, perfection will continue to elude us. And I have determined that the price, according to Hayward in this article, is infinite patience. And However, in conclusion of his article, it's not pay the price for perfection. It's pay the price of achievement. And I think that he's acknowledging that perfection is always going to be beyond us. I mean, it's a mirage. It's a mirage. I I, I can't say I've ever done anything to perfection. Right, Not, and I, I don't think I ever will.
2: Nothing we can do is perfect. Exactly. Well, it's almost right? like
1: it's like the the more we know, the harder, the the farther away perfection is because we know.
2: Yeah.
0: how loose totally. it is. Totally. Yeah. Right. And yeah. I'm content with that. Like I, I found solace in that. It's no. a relief, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but what I mean, what if we had a society that was more willing to grab onto that idea? Right? I mean, what, what sort of secondary tertiary benefits would we have? I mean, that's probably a whole nother podcast, <laughs> right? But again, it's not pay the price for perfection, but pay the price of achievement. And I think all of us want to achieve in life. Mm-hmm. And if we're able to give release to whatever our pursuit is while instituting this idea of infinite patience... And in particular, that internal patience where we're, we're patient with ourselves and our mm-hmm. failures and our learning process, um, knowing that there's always going to be shortcomings. There's always something to improve. Mm-hmm. And, and man, um, I think that is something that is really important to teach in children from a very young age. And a lot of them. It's hard for them to see their imperfections. Well, that doesn't
1: just go for children.
0: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. But it doesn't
1: mean adult, a man, a woman can't start. True. So here's the starting.
0: Here's the starting. Oh, yeah. Anything to add, Paul? I don't think so. Okay. So we'll call that it for Prelude to Perfection. But before we wrap up this recording, I think that we should determine which of you two are going to pick the next article. And I'll leave it to you two
2: how you want All to right. decide. How about a good old-fashioned rock, paper, scissors? Yeah, that was good, so good, good, good. All right,
1: just one. All right, Just one? On shoot? <laughs> rock, paper, scissors,
2: We go on three. Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay. One. Rock, paper, scissors, scissors. Rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> yeah. I go. Gotcha.
0: All right. I had scissors. He had paper. Okay, yep. so what does that mean? Who's who's doing it? I'm he, going first. He's it next. picking. Marty's picking next. Marty's picking next. All right. So we look forward to it, Marty. Marty, Paul, thanks so much for joining us here yep. at the Honest Labor Podcast Episode 1. That's a wrap. We'll see you yeah. next time. Okay.